Welcome to Inspire Church's podcast. We're excited you're listening. Our hope is to inspire you to grow in God's Word, to grow more in love with Christ, and to go be a light wherever you are. To find more teachings or donate to the ministry, visit us at inspirechurches.com. Welcome back to the new year. Um, we're excited because in the begin and in September, we actually launched out into a journey where we had planned to go through the book of Romans together. And so um, if you've been with us from the beginning, um, I'm sure you're excited to be back. Um, if you haven't with, been with us, that's fine. You can access our old Romans series um, via podcast. Um, but we're so excited because we are starting off season two this morning, season one passed. And so this morning is the season premiere, a uh, season two by faith alone is finally here. And, uh, we are excited to move forward with you. We are looking forward. Uh, we will go through about another nine weeks of Romans. Then we'll pause because Easter will be coming and we'll, we'll round up for Easter and have an amazing uh, series for Easter. And then we'll jump back into Romans. And the goal is to finish the entire book of Romans together um, in June. And the cool thing is, is that we're going through Romans together, but then we're going to leave, and throughout the week, we're going to discuss it together in small groups. And so I really hope that you would find a connect that fits you, um, and that you would join us during this week, and that you would um, come in a smaller group where we sit in circles and not rows, and we can kind of discuss the book a little bit more and grow together. Amen? So let's jump into this. Uh, If you have your Bibles, your Bible apps, you can open up to Romans chapter 5. And we are going to start this uh, season two off uh, just with the first five verses of Romans chapter 5. So if you could find it, get there, and then um, hold their place because I'm just going to kind of give you a a bit of an introduction. But Romans chapter 5, and we are going to read today five verses, um, verse 1 through five. A little bit about the book of Romans. The book of Romans was written by the Apostle Paul. It's a letter that he wrote to a church in ancient Rome. And this church was a mixed church. There were Romans in that church. There were Jews in that church. There were Gentiles in that church. Rome during that time was like a thriving uh, uh, um, city, Any, like Paris, uh, like New York. Name any one of your favorite big cities. That was Rome in the ancient world. And so this was a church in the big city, um, in an influential city. It was a multicultural church. Um, And so the Apostle Paul is writing to them. And so if you would keep your place there, just kind of recap where we've been, and then we'll jump into where we are going this morning. You ready? All right. In the first four chapters of Romans, Paul explains how we are saved. Have you ever asked that question? Has somebody ever asked, are you saved? Are you saved? Do you save, right? Yeah, yeah, I'm saved. I'm saved. What does that even mean? And, and the, the theological word for saved is justified. Are you justified? Our justification. And basically that means, are you right with God? Are you and God okay? And so Paul tells us how we are saved. And he tells us this, we are saved, and this is so important, by faith alone, in Christ alone by grace alone. We are saved by faith alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone. So what does that mean? Let me break that down really quickly so that we can understand. I think if we call ourselves Christians, if we call ourselves followers of Jesus, then we should probably know how to describe how we are saved. We are saved by faith alone. What does that mean? By faith alone, Paul means trusting and believing, not working and achieving. 
by faith alone means we are saved by trusting and believing, not working and achieving. You see, Christianity is not a self-help religion. There is nothing we can do to save ourselves. You see, self-help religions do, um, they, they may uh, encourage you, they may inspire you, and ultimately what self-help religions do is say that there's something inside of you. Just find the power within and you can accomplish whatever you want. Christianity says, actually, there's nothing in you that can save yourself. We are saved not by our own works, by our own efforts, or by our own achievement, but we are saved by faith alone. This is why our salvation is in Jesus Christ alone. You see, Jesus is the object of our faith. So if we are saved by faith alone, then what are we putting our faith in? Well, not in ourselves. We're putting our faith in who? Jesus Christ. So Jesus is the object of our, of our faith. Since we're all sinners, amen, all of us, we're all sinners, we cannot put our confidence in our own good deeds. And you know what else we can't put our confidence in? Our religious rituals. Going to church on Sundays doesn't save you. Just because you got baptized a long time ago does not save you. Just because you may say a prayer, just because you do a couple of good things, it does not save you. Why? Because we are way more sinful than we are good. We are way more sinful than we are good. Since we're all sinners, we can't put our confidence in our good deeds. We can't put our confidence in our religious activities. But we can only put our confidence, are you ready for this? In the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. So we are saved by faith alone, in Christ alone. And then, of course, this is an act of saving us is by his grace alone. By his grace alone. What does it mean, by grace alone? It means that our salvation is a gift. It's a free gift. It's not just the gift we don't deserve, right? Have you ever got a gift? You're like, man, I didn't do anything to deserve this. It's not just the gift you don't deserve. It's not just uh, unmerited favor, right? Unmerited favor is somebody favoring you, but you didn't deserve it. But it's demerited favor. What does that mean? It means not only is it a gift that you didn't deserve, but it's a gift that you actually deserve the exact opposite. And so our salvation, our justification is in faith alone, by Christ alone, by his grace alone, in faith alone, in Christ alone, by his grace alone. So let me kind of put this together. On the cross, Christ took upon himself the punishment of our sins. And he gave to us his perfect record of righteousness. You see that? Whenever you see the cross, some of us wear crosses. Whenever you see it, I want you to think of two things. Number one, on that cross, Christ endured the punishment that you and I deserved. But that was only one thing that happened. Not only did he take the punishment and the wrath of God that we deserve, but then he gave us his perfect record of righteousness so that when the father looks down at you he doesn't see your blemishes and imperfections he sees the perfect pure life of jesus christ that right there is so difficult to believe isn't it this beautiful exchange is now available to anyone anyone who would just what repent and believe Repent and believe. What does it mean to repent? It means humble yourself and admit you're a sinner. Admit there are many areas in your life where you don't trust God. Repent and then believe the gospel. Believe that Jesus Christ is the only source of your salvation. And so we are saved by faith alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone. Amen? Amen. Now that we've got through the recap, 
let's jump into this morning's verse. If you have your Bibles, Romans chapter 5, verse 1 through 5. So here's what Paul's going to do right now. He is going to say, now that you're saved and you know how your salvation kind of works, I'm going to tell you the benefits of your salvation. Now, if we've already heard there are so many benefits of our salvation. But Paul says, I'm going to give you some specific, I'm going to explain to you some specific benefits to your salvation. So Romans chapter 5, verse 1 through 5 reads like this. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we also have obtained access by faith into his grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice, are you ready? In our sufferings. Man, that's tough. We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. We're a praying church. Let's pray one more time before we get into the Word. Jesus, I need your help. Um, I pray that you would remove me, and I pray that your word would accomplish everything that you've set it out to do. I pray for every hearer, every heart, every mind in this room, Holy Spirit, that you would translate the word specifically to where they're at, that you would speak to so many in here today that need to hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, although uh, our blessings in Christ are innumerable, we're unable to count them. There's so many. Um, Paul explains in this particular section three blessings that our salvation brings to us. Three blessings that our salvation gives to us. Now that you have been saved by faith alone in Christ alone, um, there are blessings that are given to you via this salvation. And again, there are numerous blessings too many that we can count, but Paul starts with three, and so for this morning, I want to get to those three. The first one is this. It's peace. Paul says, you've been saved by faith alone, in Christ alone, and as a result, a benefit of your salvation is peace, but not the kind of peace that you might be thinking. Let me, let me explain that. There's an old proverb that says, the highest happiness is peace. Everyone is looking for peace, world peace, inner peace, or maybe just a peace of mind. We read books, we take classes, we learn to meditate, we do a little yoga. We even self-medicate just to find a moment of tranquility. We do all of this, and it's not even the kind of peace we actually need. Paul explains and I want you guys to get this. It's not an existential experience that we need. What we primarily need is not peace, but peace with God. The qualifier is peace with God. You don't need peace. You need peace with God. You see, the phrase peace with God is not a subjective feeling like nirvana or bliss. I'm chasing after a feel-good moment, just a moment of rest, of silence, of serenity. No, peace with God is not a subjective feeling, but it's an objective truth that declares those who have placed their faith in Christ are no longer at war with God. Do you know what that feels like? Those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ are no longer at war with God. 
as a result, they no longer need to fear his judgment or his wrath. Pretty heavy. Now, let me clarify something that I think is really important for us, especially in this room this morning. I've heard people, and I've even heard Christians say this, so please listen carefully. Um, I've heard people use the phrase, you know, I made my peace with God. Have you ever heard that before? You know, I made my peace with God. And, and when they say it, they mean it like, um, like I'm no longer mad at him. <laughs> right? right? Maybe you even said it, right? Like, I'm not mad at him. And you, why in the world would you be mad at God? Well, and then here comes this huge list, right? I was angry with God because of how my life ended up. I, I, I was angry. I was mad at God because he allowed something to take place. Maybe there was a tragedy. Maybe there was something that you endured that you felt like was unfair. And so you were mad at God. You were angry at God. I was upset with God. Uh, but, but I've made peace with him. I've, I've moved on and, and we're, we're cool now. We're good. Me and God, we're good now. Now, I just want to say this. This kind of thinking, though many times it can be genuine, it demonstrates really an ignorance towards the goodness of God and the sinfulness of man. I want you to, I don't miss this and, and don't twist this. God is not the one with the problem. We, we are the one with the problem, and that problem is sin. You know, being at peace with God does not mean that your problems with him are resolved. It means that his problem with you is resolved. It doesn't mean that your problems are resolved. It means his problems with you are resolved in Christ Jesus. I think this is why the gospel, despite its beauty, can be so utterly offensive to the world. Isn't that a little offensive? Um, you see, most of the world, and maybe you might be in here today, maybe this is kind of some of your thought process, but I just want to kind of give you an idea of what scripture says. Most of the world just assumes that God is fine with everybody. Right? God accepts all people just the way that they are. Like That's our culture, and I think there are a lot of Christians that twist this up a little bit. Well, God accepts us all. Like we are all, We're all made by God. We're all made in his image, and so God is good with everybody. But can I be honest with you? That's not the gospel. That's not the Bible that we read. Now, that may be another religion that you follow, but if you're a Christian, a follower of Christ, or if you're here this morning and you're just kind of observing, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible actually teaches the opposite of that. To believe like that and to talk like that insults the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Can I just say this? And this is logical. If God was good with everybody, then why would Jesus need to come and die? Why would he need to be brutalized on the cross if God was okay with everybody how they are? Right? That doesn't make sense. I want you to know this. Jesus died to satisfy God's wrath against sin and to bring us peace with God. Peace with God. Number two, scripture says we not only need peace with God and our justification gives us that, but we also are given access to grace. I, I really love this. Let me break this down a little bit. Peace is a status with God. Access is an invitation from God. Say that again. Peace is a status. It's a fact. I am no longer at war with God. I am at peace with God. 
Access is an invitation by the God of the universe to connect with him intimately and personally in a relationship. I want you to listen to this logic here. On the cross, on the cross, suffering on our behalf, Christ removed all hostility between God and us. Once Jesus secured our peace, guess what? A loving relationship with our creator could now take place. You see, we were created for community. You were here last week. We dove into that. We were created for community. We were created to connect with the one who created us. In fact, this is the story of the Bible. It's the common thread that links together all of scripture from Genesis to Revelation. It's all about God's pursuit of wayward humanity and his willingness to lay down his life so that peace could be made and intimacy restored. The Bible is a love letter. The Bible is a book about God of the universe pursuing wayward humanity, doing whatever it takes to the point of even laying down his life so that peace can be restored, so that community can be had between us again. Peace declares God is no longer angry with me, but Axis declares God wants to be close to me. That's amazing. Now, aren't you glad that you have a God that not only restored peace with him, but also restored access? Because you could be at peace with somebody, but it doesn't mean that you guys are in community. Like you can have peace with somebody. You can be okay with somebody. You can be at a neutral ground with somebody. I don't feel one way or another. Like if we walk by each other, it's peaceful. You can be at peace with God, but he says, I didn't just die to bring peace with you. I died because bringing peace to you makes way so that I can get close to you. The God of the universe died, not just to bring us peace, but to bring us access. Let me get into a little Old Testament history just for a moment. Um, you remember the tabernacle and the temple in the Old Testament? Well, let me tell you, the temple represented the presence of God dwelling with his people. That's a representation. The tabernacle, in fact, was a movable tent. It was a tent. So when the Israelites were first delivered out of Egypt and they were wandering the wilderness, they wandered and they had this tabernacle. And every time they would camp, they would set the tabernacle down. And every time they would break up camp, they would break, they would break the tent up and they would carry the Ark of the Covenant, which represented God's presence. And they would carry it in a very particular way and they would move it. And wherever the children of Israel settled, they would settle down and they would build a tent or a tabernacle around it. And it signified that wherever Israel went, God's presence went. And so finally, when Israel settled in the promised land, they said, I'm not going to just build a tent. Now we want to build you a temple, a house to dwell. And so the temple meant God's presence with his people, God's presence with his people. But despite it meaning that, if you read anything in the Old Testament about the temple, you realize that access was restricted, right? Access was restricted. They had bouncers at the door. They were checking IDs. They didn't have bouncers or IDs, but access was restricted. Uh, the, the place, um, there were places that you could go into, but you could only enter in after you had sacrificed an animal, like spilled some blood and gone through all these like ceremonial, like ritualistic, like purity ceremonies. You had to do so much just to get into a place, but there were also places that were off limits. They were restricted. 
And so you can go into the outer courts, you can go into the inner courts, but then there was the Holy of Holies. There were the inner courts. And guess what? Nobody could go there. In fact, only a high priest one day a year on one time could go in to sacrifice for the sins of the world. And he had to go in and he had to bathe and he had to do all these crazy rituals just to get in there. In fact, they would tie a bell on his ankle. Because if he walked in there and he didn't do any of his rituals right, that bell stopped ringing. That means he's dead. They, they tie a bell and a rope and they pull that boy out. They do, no, seriously. It's in the scriptures. And you might think, man, the Old Testament is weird. That's why I don't read it, right? Like some of you guys are like, that's just out there. Like, that's just, why do you tie a bell and a rope and he falls dead? What God, what are you doing? What are you saying? But can I tell you what the temple reflects? It's a foreshadowing. It teaches us something. You want to know what the temple teaches us? Two things. Number one, God wants to be close. But sin has kept us far. And in order to get close to a holy God, our sinfulness needs to be washed away. This is why, I love this, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, when Easter comes, we'll talk a lot about this. This is why the Gospels record that when Jesus died, there was an earthquake. You know what happened? In the temple, there's a curtain. I'm going to tell you about this curtain. This curtain was not just like the drapes at your house. This was a massive, large, huge curtain that separated the Holy of Holies from everything outside. It signified that you can't get past this place because once you went inside of there, that's where the manifest presence of God dwelt. And so when Jesus died, the gospel writers record that as soon as he died, there was an earthquake and that temple veil was torn in half. What does that mean? It signified that Christ's death, his sacrifice, not only brought me peace with God, but he ripped what separated me from God and invited me into an intimate, close relationship with him. Um, we're a mobile church, right? We meet at the Crown Plaza. We're a homeless church. Um, it's kind of cool that way. I enjoy it. Um, to be honest with you, I, here's what I love about being a, a mobile church is that it requires our people to serve. And let me just say to you, we just had a Love My Serve banquet, and really it was just all about loving on those who had served in 2019, and I just want to take a moment to say thank you so much if you served. And I do want to say, uh, in thanking people that served, please don't feel bad if you didn't serve. Like, this is not like I make you feel bad you didn't serve, right? This is just about thanking those who served in 2019, but here's what's beautiful about being a mobile church. If we had a church building everything, everything would be set up, which all the setup team here would be like, that would be so great. Right? And, you know, at times I feel like it's great, but I'm going to tell you something. There's something powerful when people get involved for one thing and we're showing up together. There are going to be years we're going to look back and say, praise God for this beautiful temple that you built. But we remember those days when we were mobile, the community, the family, the sacrifice. Anyways, I'm going to get off of that. Um, we're a mobile church, so that means that we're not only mobile on Sunday mornings, but I'm a, it's a, I'm mobile offices for me. I don't have an office. I go to Starbucks. I go to specialties. Um, I go wherever in offices. I go to some of your house um, and sit down for a couple hours. You guys kick me out sometimes, but I don't have an office. And so uh, Tuesdays are really sacred to me. Those are days that I do a lot of my sermon prepping. So I kind of shut the door, and I try to spend it the entire day kind of planning, praying, preparing uh, for the sermons. And so um, those are really sacred to me. So I actually stay home on Tuesdays. Um, I go into my room. I, I, I go into uh, one of our extra spare bedrooms. I shut the door and I study, but uh, my son loves to interrupt. 
And he's hilarious because sometimes he'll walk, you know that little like crack between the door? He'll put his little fingers in there and he'll do that, <laughs> right? And he's constantly doing that. Like that's just what Philip does. And so I'm ready to study, but my son loves to interrupt. He loves to burst in and mommy knows this and he says, daddy. And then he'll ask like the most random question, like the most off the wall random questions. Um, I'll even hear his mom kind of yell like, what did you say? Like get out of the room, daddy's studying, you know? Um, and what's even funnier is he'll even climb on my lap and he'll have his iPad and he'll like turn the volume super loud. And, um, <laughs> and uh, anyone who knows me, like when I sermon prep, I don't take calls. I, I rarely text. In fact, when people do text, like I know you're sermon prepping right now. And I'm like, all right. Um, I don't take visitors, anything like that. But, but let me just say this. When Philip comes in to the room, I gladly welcome his interruption and he gladly interrupts. <laughs> you know, that's kind of weird, right? Even when people welcome us, we still apologize, don't we? We got apologizers in here. We got a lot of you. You guys say, I'm sorry. I'm like, what did you do? You know, I'm sorry. Like, what did you do? Right? It's like, even when you're welcome into a place, you still feel like, okay, I need this. I'm, I stood 20 minutes. I'm over my, right? Some of you guys don't have that in you. You probably need it a little bit. But, right? <laughs> you ever had that friend that come over? It's like, all right. So... When you headed out. But for the most part, like we come in and we leave like an hour early because we're so super sensitive that even though we've been invited in, we can't be here that long, right? And um, here's what I want to say though my, I love my son. When Philip comes in, I, I welcome his interruption. He gladly interrupts. And uh, why? Why? Is that, that's unfair. Like, why, why don't I do that for anybody else? How come I don't take phone calls? How come I don't stop and allow visitors to come in? Um, why? Why? Why does he have such unlimited access to me? Why does he get to enjoy a kind of interaction with me that nobody else can? It's because he's my son. Right? Um, and as my son, I love him in a way that gives him an unrestricted access to me as his dad that nobody else gets. Access is a privilege. It's an invitation to know the God of this universe perfectly. In fact, if we truly understood the supreme value of this benefit, I wonder how that would affect the way you schedule time with God. Right? And here's kind of, you know, I, I usually kind of give you a little zinger. Right here, here's a little here's a little challenge, a little 2019. If you were coming here, like I want new year, new me, you know, give me a goal. Um, in 2019, what did your time with God look like? What did your time with Him in prayer look like? What did your time with Him in His Word look like? How about this? What did your time with Him in church look like? Um, and then going into 2020, in lieu of now understanding the power of access, how is that going to change? Or will it change? And again, I, I, you know, seatbelts on, I love you. I, I, I just doing my best to pastorally love you and challenge you. But if Christ in his blood sacrificed to bring you peace with God so that you can have access to him, then what does it say if we're not accessing him? The final benefit to our salvation, we have peace with God. We have access and the final benefit of our salvation given to us in this section by Paul is joy. Joy. Now, can I just say this? Joy can come from many places, can it? And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not setting you up. <laughs> Maybe I might be. 
Joy, joy can come from many places. Like it's okay. Like if you get a little bit of money, it's okay, <laughs> right? Someone's like, we're Christians. I don't, you know, I can't be joyful. No, like you got some money. <laughs> Enjoy that. Joy can come from money, right? Joy can come from a, a beautiful relationship. My wife gives me so much joy. I know. <laughs> joy, joy can come from a, a, a great accomplishment. Look back this year. What did you accomplish? Right? Some of you started a career. Some of you got into school. Some of you may have accomplished some great things, and you, you kind of take, you can get joy from that. Like, that's totally okay. You're not a bad Christian. Um, but here's the real concern. Um, it's not what brings you joy, but what is your joy rooted in? That's the real question we need to ask ourselves. Where is your joy rooted in? Paul explains, if you're a follower of Christ, your joy should be rooted, he says this, in the hope of the glory of God. He says that's where you should root your joy. I know that sounds kind of weird, right? But your joy should, be, should not be rooted in your relationship. Guess what? You're going to get let down. It should not be, uh, your joy should not be rooted in uh, your career. You're going to get let down. It shouldn't be rooted in anything that could change. And guess what? Everything changes. And so we're going to root our joy in something. We should root it, root it in something that is stable and unchanging. Something that will never let us down. Now that feels impossible if you're looking with your eyes, your, your fleshly eyes. But if you're looking with the eyes of the spirit, you realize that our joy is rooted in the hope of the glory of God. Now what in the world does that mean? Like in the hope of the glory of God, what does that mean? Well, hope right? What is hope? Hope is to believe for something great to take place in the future. It's a feeling or, or a feeling of trust or, or expectation. Now listen, to the world, hope is just wishful thinking, isn't it? Like, I hope that happens. Probably not. To the world, it's wishful thinking. But to the follower of Christ, hope is our confidence that God will do what he promised he would do. What is glory? So we hope in glory what is glory well glory is his promise and another way we could put this is glorification listen to this glorification refers to the day that jesus returns the day that jesus returns the day that jesus comes back and guess what he's going to do scripture says he will make all things new He's going to make all things new. It's a promise that one day God is going to finish what he started. Like one day our bodies are going to be transformed. Amen. We're going to be made whole. Are you achy? Are you in pain? Are you suffering? One day your bodies are going to be transformed and you are going to be made whole. And some of you are really healthy. So this doesn't impact you. But there are people in this room. You've been suffering for a long time. And there's a hope and glory. And when I say body, I don't just mean physical pain, but mental pain. Is there any in this room that's battling mental Mental sickness. I want to tell you, you're not any less of a Christian. But one day there's a promise of a hope of glory that your mind, your body will be made whole. And that's a beautiful hope. But that's not only hope that we have. One day we also believe that our hearts and our minds will be purified, fully renewed, no longer contaminated by sin. Because I don't care who you are, even if you're the best, whatever that is, Christian in this room, you are still full of sin. Full of it. Even your best decisions are rooted in some sort of selfishness. But one day, that is going to be gone. It's going to be renewed. We're not going to think. We're not going to be so sensitive, so offended. We're not going to hurt people easily, be impatient. Sin will be taken away. 
And one day this world that has been corrupted by sin and decay will be made new again. Can you imagine? Some of you have your favorite vacation spots. Some of y'all love to vacation. I see you on Instagram. I live vicariously through you. And then I'm like, it's Sunday morning. Like, you guys still out there or what? No, I'm just kidding. Well, that's not true. That's my, my flesh, though. Little zingers today. Little zingers. Little zingers. Uh, just for the members. If you're not a member here, I love you. God bless you. But the members get a little extra sometimes. Um, right? But think of you the most beautiful place you can go to and realize that that place has been tainted by sin. Now, imagine God making all things new and removing sin and decay from the world and even the most beautiful place. I just imagine like, I don't know, some tropical place with no mosquitoes, right? I feel like mosquitoes are sin. You know what I mean? Like the weather is just right. You know, I feel like, like, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like the heat could be a little sinful as well, right? Just imagine like this. Okay. But I'm saying God is going to make things new, not just your body, not just your mind, not just your soul, but the entire world will be made brand new. Some of us think, we, you know, when Jesus comes, we go to heaven, we're going to live in these like weird celestial bodies and just kind of, no, we're going to be here. We're going to be physical. We're going to enjoy the world the way it was intended to be enjoyed. Just no more decay, no more suffering. Amen? So when, when Paul says, as Christians, our hope is rooted in the future glory of God. He's saying, put your hope, put your joy in the future glorification of God. So my question is, where is your joy rooted? For those of you who have been justified by faith in Christ, our joy is not rooted in our past or present circumstances, but our joy is rooted in future glory. Future glory. And, and again, I keep saying I love this, but I really do. Hoping in future glory puts present suffering in proper perspective. Hoping in future glory puts present suffering in proper perspective. You see, according to Paul, for the Christian, suffering produces a chain reaction of events that only serve to help you more than hurt you in the long run. To a Christian who's put their hope in glory, suffering actually works for you, not against you. To the Christian who puts their hope in future glory, current suffering works to help you and not hurt you. Verse 3, Paul says this, suffering produces endurance. What does that mean? When you suffer, it's training you. Any athletes in the building? Anybody ever had to go through a season of training, right? You suffer, you, you strength, you push, you pull. You're a runner. You condition yourself to make sure that when the game comes, you're not tiring out, that you're at peak performance. Suffering, Paul says, produces endurance. Verse 4, he says, endurance then produces character. And I love this about character. Character is not morality, but it's Christ-likeness. Produces this this inside of you, this desire to look more like Jesus. Finally, verse five, character produces hope and hope does not disappoint. In a way, and this is really cool, suffering sanctifies. It conditions us, it grooms us, it forms us into the image of Jesus. Without suffering a Christian, ready? I love this. Without suffering a Christian can fall in love with this present world and lose sight of the world to come. You know, I was actually realizing that. I love this world too much. And some of you are like, Jesus, just don't come back. Like, I need to do this. I need to get married first, right? For those of you who have been born and raised in church, like any of you guys have been like 
born and raised in church. And if you haven't, don't feel ostracized, but there's some of us that have. In fact, there's probably less in here that have than haven't. But for those of you who have, they're always thought, Jesus is coming back, right? They don't get caught doing anything wrong. Jesus is coming back, right? Like they just use that against you. So everywhere you were just in fear, right? Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. And there's this whole idea, oh my God, Jesus is coming back. And then as you grew up, you're like, okay, Jesus, you're coming back, but just don't come back. Let me get married first. Right? Let me have a kid first. Right? Some of you still think that God just hold up a little bit. I want to experience life. You know what that means? And I, it just means that you love what's here more than you think, but more than you love what's coming. And it just shows that we have an improper perspective of the glory of God. If we all knew what was coming, we'd want him to come more than we'd want to stay. Now, if you've suffered, then you look forward to something that's coming because where you're at right now is not worthy of what God is going to do. And so in a way, if you're suffering, God is almost shaping you to desire what's to come more than to love what's here. And I diagnosed myself. The reason why I looked forward more to here than what's to come is because I haven't experienced a lot of pain and suffering in my life. I haven't lost anybody very close to me. I haven't felt any personal pain. You know, I was kind of scared while I was thinking through this, you know, because even then I'm like, well, God, it doesn't mean I want you to do this, you know, kind of, but... But God is sovereign and he is beautiful and his will is good. But I do want to say that for those of you that suffered, there's a bit of envy that I have because there's a longing for what's to come that's produced inside of you. So in a way, suffering sanctifies. It conditions us. It grooms us. It forms us into the image of God. Without suffering, a Christian can fall in love with this present world and lose sight of the glory of the world to come. I want to invite the team to come up and we're going to get ready to dismiss this morning. I know it can be hard uh, to root our joy in future glory, right? Like, theoretically, that sounds cool, right? But like, how do we really do that? So it can be hard to root our joy in the hope of a future glory. You might be thinking in this room right now, like this all sounds good. You're a great orator. You're a great communicator. Maybe some of you don't think I am. But hey, you can make it. You can sell something, right? You're a car salesman. That all sounds great in theory, but how can you really have hope in future glory? How is that even possible? It just sounds cute and cliche more than it sounds realistic in my life. Let me try to explain to you in a way that I think is understandable. And then we're going to pray together. Um, have you ever seen a child respond to a parent's promise that they're going to take them to Disneyland? Right? Or maybe, maybe you've been promised. Maybe you remember as a kid your parents promising you go to Disneyland. And maybe you're like, no, I haven't seen you. We just work with me and pretend you've watched a movie. I'm sure you've seen it somewhere. Right? <laughs> But you ever see like a kid's reaction, like you're going to Disneyland. And to be honest, there's some adults in this room. You love it too. We got a lot of Disneyland folk in here. <laughs> but do you, do you, do you, have you ever, how about you? Like you ever had a promise of a vacation, right? You ever had a promise of a coming vacation? Like the trip could be like months away, <laughs> right? But you're already planning. You're in like the group text thread, right? Like, hey, wait till we get there. So, so you're going to be, you know what I mean? Like you start, you just, you just start talking about it. You're creating a culture of anticipation. You're looking forward to it. The trip could be months away, but just the thought of it has the power to relieve stress, right? It could be like six months away. And it's like, yo, we're going to, you know, this place in six months. And like today I could deal with today right? Um, in fact, 
if you're a, if you're a slick parent, you'll use that as a, a little manipulation tool, won't you? Right? You cheer the child up, right? Like P falls and, you know, bleeding and crying. Like, you're going to go to Disneyland. You're going to go to Disneyland. Like, okay, Disneyland, right? 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 Or, you know, you just bribe away. Don't we just all, we just sin. We just teach our children to sin in those moments. Right? We do whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. But um, parents will use that as a tool to cheer their child up. I want you to see this. There's nothing like a future trip to Disneyland um, and there's nothing that a future trip to Disneyland can't overcome, right? Um, a bad day, a bad month. Maybe your child, like I said, fell down, is in pain. We use the idea of going to Disneyland to help medicate whatever pain we're enduring or they're enduring in the moments. So you see, we, we do have the ability to endure present pain in light of future hope. You see that? We do. We do. It's not cliche. It's not just some silly thing the Bible talks about, but we can't really make. We do have the ability to endure present pain in light of future hope. For the child, the power of this, where's the power? Where's the power? For the child, the power is in their ability to fully trust that what the parents said they will do, will do. Isn't that beautiful? Like when you just say it, your child believes it. And so the power for the child to endure the present pain, when you say, hey, we're going to go to Disneyland, the power of the child's ability to endure that pain comes in their trust in your promise that they're going to go. For the Christian, our power is in our ability to fully trust in what God said he would do, he's going to do. Do you trust him? Do you trust him? Do you trust him? Do you trust the Lord? Do you trust his word? Do you trust Christ? Do you really believe glorification is coming? Do you really believe that something better is coming? Do you believe that all things will be made new? I love this. In Christ, we are fully covered. Past, present, and future. Peace. Justification means that our war with God is over. Past. Access. Justification means that our relationship with God has begun. Present. Joy. Justification means that our joy is rooted in what God will do. And that's the future. So we're going to take a moment to worship and reflect. And I'm going to come up and pray. And so let us just give God, take a little bit moment to give him glory and we'll dismiss. We're going to dismiss, and I want to do two things. Uh, well, I want, to do, I want to pray for you, but before I do that, I want to invite you to consider taking this discussion uh, to a connect with you this week. I think this is going to be a great opportunity to discuss what this looks like together in circles. And so I'm actually going to give you the questions that we're going to ask this week in our small groups so that you can see them ahead of time. You can prepare your heart and so that you can kind of understand what we're trying to accomplish and the first question that we're going to ask today or this week in our small groups is uh, we serve a God who is willing to do whatever it takes to remove all barriers to be with us. Knowing that he willfully gave up his life so that we could have access to him. How does that change the way we view spending time with him? And how will it change it going forward? And so I can't wait for you guys to discuss that. How is that understanding of access going to change the way you view spending time with him? And finally, our second question 
is where do we have a tendency to root our joy? And we'll talk about that together. What, what areas in our lives do we put our joy in? Do we get let down? And finally, um, how can we learn to uproot our joy from those places and root them in the future glory of God? And so I can't wait for us to sit together this week in homes and houses and discuss this and grow together as followers of Christ. You're invited. We love you so much. Heavenly Father, I just pray if there's anyone in this room that feels far from you, there's anyone in this room that feels like maybe they're not saved. So when somebody asks the question, are you saved? They're unsure. I pray right now in the name of Jesus that they would understand they are saved by faith. They would put their hope their trust in Jesus Christ. And if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus personally or you feel like you've strayed from him or you're a little far from him, I want you to know it's as simple as this. Put your trust in him. Believe that he came, that he lived the perfect life, that he died the death for you and for your sins. And in that death, there was an exchange that was made. Believe that exchange. The exchange is he took the punishment that you deserve because of your imperfections, because of your sins. He took it upon himself. He took the full wrath of God for you. But he didn't just do that, but he gave you his perfect record of righteousness so that if you would just believe in this gospel, you would walk and God would see you as perfect and holy in his sight because of his son, Jesus Christ. He didn't just die, but he rose again. And he's coming back, which means you don't just have something now, but you have something to look ahead to. That one day all things will be made, to, made new. You will resurrect. And God will restore all things. If you would just repent and believe that gospel, you would be saved. Access would be opened and you would have an opportunity to be close to God again. So Father, I pray for anyone in this room that feels far from you. They would just trust, repent, and believe the beautiful gospel of Jesus Christ. And I pray for all of those in this room that are here, the new year, standing. God, so many things have happened the previous year. They're here, they're standing, they made it this morning. I pray that they would continue to grow. And I pray that you would continue to stretch and challenge and love and comfort and do what you do this year. And I pray 2020 would continue to be a a year of great things in Christ Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen and amen. We love you. God bless you. Have a wonderful Sunday. We'll see you throughout the week or we'll see you next Sunday. God bless you. Thank you for joining us for this week's Inspired Churches podcast. Don't forget to share or subscribe to join us every Sunday. You can keep up with Inspired Churches through Instagram at Inspired Churches or on Facebook at facebook.com slash Inspired Churches. To support the ministry, you can click on the link in the description or visit us at inspirechurches.com for more information.